Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hello, and welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 98. So I am recording this on October 12th, 2020, and I can tell you here in Boston it's getting cold, which is definitely um, a shift because it's been such a hot summer. And um, I will just give you a little tip. Um, wherever you live, if you are also uh, experiencing a change of seasons, uh, I would not recommend what I did yesterday, which was I, inspired by the colder weather, went to the grocery store, did uh, a bunch of food shopping, including buying um, ingredients to make homemade cookies. <laughs> and I made so many cookies, I had to freeze some of them. And I literally am never in my house with sweets. It's very rare. Um, but now I have about 30 sugar cookies in my house, which is really, really dangerous. So I would definitely not recommend uh, you do what I did because then you're going to feel like you have to use your self-control at a level that you never thought you had in order to um, resist eating them. In the middle of the day, I, I had two cookies a little while ago, which is very, very unlikely. So anyway, I wanted to just start with that. And um, I also wanted to start with that because it's just something light and something funny and something you know, just that doesn't require any mental energy. And I know that, um, I don't know about you, but right now I feel like everything requires a whole bunch of mental energy. There is just so much going on. Um, the political climate, it, climate is just really, really out of control right now, as well as everything that continues to go on with COVID. And um, so I'm just finding, whether it's doing some home cooking, um, keeping up with my exercise, meditation, uh, pulling my tarot cards. Um, I actually just recently took up another uh, project, knitting project, and I'm really, really psyched. You can follow on Instagram. I'll post different progress pictures on my Instagram so you can see how this scarf is coming along. I really love this particular yarn because it's multicolored and I think the actual scarf itself is gonna look really cool. Um, I will say one thing about this pandemic, I finished a scarf, I'm now on my second scarf and I love making them myself. 
uh, myself. I will find, um, what I find is that I knit at night when I have TV on and it keeps me off of my phone. So scrolling through social media and then it allows me to create something. So I really um, offer that to you as a possible good trade-off if you're looking for a way to cut your phone time at night. Um, I know for myself, that's usually when I do a lot of scrolling, which all the data suggests that having that blue light in your eyes within even two hours of going to bed is really detrimental to um, the development of the brain waves that you want uh, to have when you're sleeping. So I really like that when I knit, it prevents me from looking at my phone as much, if at all, and then I can go to sleep and uh, more quickly get into that restful, deep sleep. Um, I also want to give, now that we're talking a little bit about the brain, I also want to give a huge shout out and recommendation to my listeners to hop over to Huberman Lab. It's H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N Lab. And um, the Huberman Lab uh, Instagram is, um, I'm just looking up his first name because why am I blanking on his first uh, Andrew. Uh, so Dr. Andrew Huberman is over at Stanford. He's a professor of neuroscience and the lab director at Stanford University. And he focuses on neuroscience, brain research and education. And he has an amazing Instagram friends. Um, he is totally dedicated to making brain science more understandable for the average person. And as yoga teachers, it's really important for us to dive into neuroscience. However, what I would say to you is stick with learning the basics first before you tackle um, you know, various aspects of the nervous system. Obviously, to understand anatomy, we have to understand some of the nervous system functions. Um, what I do is kind of hold off on going into that in detail, touch on it peripherally, no pun intended. Um, and then I consider that kind of deep dive into neuroscience, uh, kind of a second effort that you would do after you have the basics down. And, um, but anyway, just to wrap up this chit chat part, the Huberman Lab IG is amazing. Uh, just even if you just use that as a way to kind of dip your toe in the water of neuroscience um, while you're building your competence around the key aspects of anatomy. And then just to button up this piece, if you're hearing me say the key aspects of anatomy and you're thinking, well, what are those key aspects of anatomy? Um, I talk about this a lot when I train teachers because what I've found is that when teachers are done with their 200 hour training, if they feel like they didn't really retain anatomy and they start off on a uh, self-study journey to try to learn anatomy, it's really hard for them to figure out what they should be studying. And so in my work with teachers, if I'm teaching some uh, the anatomy part of a 200 hour training, and then certainly in my own signature program, the blueprint learning program, I focus on 10 areas so that it's a very defined path to understanding anatomy. And so some of these areas have to do with, I'll just give you if I can remember them all, anatomical position breakdown, anatomical movements, um, key bones, key joints, key muscles, <clears throat> muscles and poses, um, myofascial release, uh, application of anatomy to teaching, 
and cues and sequencing. I think that's all 10. And so that is the way I define breaking down anatomy into its key parts. And I really, really encourage the teachers in my program and the teachers that take trainings from me as part of 200 hour trainings to really, really focus uh, their efforts on just studying those topics. And you can imagine in a topic like key muscles, that is a huge topic to go over. So you'll have plenty to do. And what that kind of defined approach does is it keeps you focused on learning the key things rather than trying to learn all sorts of things like even neuroscience, right? And, and a lot about the nervous system, like for instance, in muscles, there are muscle receptors that communicate with the nervous system. They're part of our proprioceptive ability. I don't go into that in extreme detail. In fact, I don't really even reference things like um, uh, Golgi tendon organs and muscle spindles because I find that it brings us down a rabbit hole that is really hard for teachers to understand and misses the big picture of what we're trying to do, which is learn anatomy for yoga teaching versus neurosurgery or specializing in the nervous system, right? And so once you have those basics down, then absolutely go out and buy that book on neuroscience, go do that deep dive into uh, the cardiovascular system, whatever you know, kind of additional piece you want to learn. So having said that, I wanna just, take a little shift here. Since I did mention neuroscience, I was having a conversation with a teacher recently and we were talking about reframing things because this teacher was feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And I just want to offer you this. I've talked about this on past episodes a couple of times. I want to just offer this technique to you because it can be a really, really powerful technique to help you stay on track maybe with a project you're doing or to really just keep a positive outlook, which is definitely something that we all need right now. So I'll give you an example of how this oftentimes comes up and how I hear it oftentimes from teachers. When I teach trainings, many times teachers will say when we're kind of halfway through, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm not sure how I'm able to get to all this. And so that kind of statement, I mean, just think about the physical response of your body to that kind of thought process in your head. And think also about the mental imprint that kind of statement makes on you. If you have a belief that it's hard for you to learn something and you continue to out loud say, I'm really overwhelmed, I'm not sure I can learn this, self-defeating statements like that, it's kind of like water on a rock it'll just kind of continue to wear down that groove in the rock. And this is very similar to the kinds of self-limiting behaviors that we have that we can track back to self-limiting beliefs that we hold about ourselves. So what I would offer you, especially in the context of your approach to learning anatomy, but also just in your interactions with people, your interactions with things in your environment, hello, the news, think about, or not think about, notice when you are going into that negative thought process and see if you can stop yourself and reframe that thought into something more positive. 
So an example um, around anatomy that I could share is instead of saying something like, I'm so overwhelmed, I have no idea how I'm going to be able to learn all the key aspects of anatomy. You could flip that and you could say, or reframe that and you could say, I'm really excited. I don't know a lot about anatomy. And I know as a yoga teacher, I want to know this. So I'm really excited to learn. And so you can even just feel as you hear me say that second reframed statement, it's got a totally different energy. Now, if you feel like this is kind of BSing yourself, then don't do it. Maybe you just reframe it in a different way that doesn't feel like such a leap for you. Um, I don't know that I'm necessarily gonna call this positive self-talk. There is an absolute neuroscience technique called reframing, and this is more what I'm referring to here. So I just offer that to you to use as something as you go about your day and as you notice things um, happening that are triggering certain feelings in, in your body, uh, in your mind. And also, especially if you're in a training right now around anatomy and you're feeling overwhelmed, I offer you that reframe technique as a way to kind of pivot a little bit so that you can um, really have optimal energy to use when you're studying. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask, you know, recently in August, I created a program called Preschool Learning Pods because I've worked as a teacher teaching uh, yoga to children for over 10 years. And when the pandemic started and my preschools closed, at least to me and other outside vendors, I was left without a way to work with children. And so when the school year was almost beginning, I created this program myself um, called the Preschool Learning Pod Program. And I marketed it and um, connected with a number of families who were interested in the service. And so basically at this point, every week, uh, four times a week, four mornings a week, I travel uh, to a, a nearby neighborhood. I'm in Boston and it's very close to where I live. And I see um, a bunch of different families and the kids get together at one of the homes and they create a preschool learning pod. And what I do is I take the children through um, a two or three hour session, which is a blend of different preschool appropriate activities, including yoga, of course. And although I'm not a teacher, an academic teacher, I've worked with kids long enough and my mom is a preschool teacher and has been for over 30 years. So I have a lot of just exposure to preschool activities. And so it was um, really fun for me to come up with a lesson plan and um, use that with kids and we're doing artwork and yes, we're doing yoga and we're doing different kinds of story time and um, music time. and. So anyway, point being, that was something I didn't have when before COVID hit that I now have. And it was essentially a way that I pivoted my um, teaching of children in schools to a different kind of program. And so what I was interested in hearing about from you, the listeners, yoga teacher listeners, is have you done something similar are you doing something now that you weren't doing before COVID um, hit that is essentially a reshaping or a pivot in a way of a program or service or offer you had that you're now that you've now adjusted to accommodate the restrictions and just the different 
situations that have to be accommodated for uh, now. I will also say in regards to the preschool learning pod, I always wear a mask. We're doing all these um, uh, sessions outside for now and the children are known to one another. So we've taken specific steps. Uh, I've taken specific steps in the creation of the program to limit the risk to me and to the children and their families involved. So if you have done something like that, I would love to hear about it. So please send me an email, let me know. I'll give you a shout out on the next episode. My email is karen at barebonesyoga.com. Or you can always just DM me on Instagram or comment on one of my Facebook posts with uh, about the podcast with what you're doing. Because I'd love to get some of those ideas out there. So as far as today and the topic we're going to talk about today, I wanted to kind of jump off of something that had come up a number of times in coaching sessions I've done with teachers in my program. And this is a really common question that comes up. And it, it, it is something I've covered earlier this year. However, I always kind of, kind of reshape a little bit uh, in terms of how I explain anything uh, as my learning grows, as my experience and talking about something grows. So even though I've covered this in a past episode, even if you've heard it, it might also spark some new thoughts in you when you hear the bulk of this um, a second time. And if you haven't heard that earlier episode, this will be new to you. So the question is this idea of understanding the why behind the cue. And this oftentimes comes up when I'm coaching teachers because they'll say, hey, I heard this cue when I was watching an online yoga class. And of course, right now, most people are doing yoga online. So this is a common experience uh, and a common way that teachers are hearing other teachers' cues. And I think because I teach anatomy, people oftentimes that I work with, teachers I work with, will come to me and they'll say, hey, I heard this what's what's the rationale for that like should i be teaching that or what's really the thought process from an anatomical standpoint for that cue and so one of the big things that i want to do with all the teachers i work with is i want to help them be more independent in answering their own questions in as much as i love of course to work with people i think one of the hallmarks of an effective teacher especially when it comes to a topic like anatomy where there's so much information is an effective teacher in my mind not only teaches the information but also teaches uh, the people that they're working with how they can figure it out on their own by giving them things like templates and processes so that they can apply those templates or a template to a particular scenario and come up with the answer themselves. And this is a really good way for the person doing this to start to gain confidence that they actually know what they're talking about. And oftentimes when it comes to these kinds of questions like, hey, this cue, what's behind it? Or hey, that cue, is that the right way to say that? You have to um, kind of add to the mix that there really isn't a right answer. And I think oftentimes one of the, again, hallmarks of those kinds of questions is that underneath the question itself is an assumption that there is a right answer. 
And I think one of the really interesting things about learning anatomy is that the more you learn anatomy and how to apply it, let's just say to yoga, right? I mean, there's lots of ways to apply anatomy, but of course we're doing it for yoga teaching. The more you learn about anatomy, the more you realize how many different variables are at play. And therefore it makes it difficult for some things to be defined and boiled down to this is right and this is wrong, which is why I very rarely in these kinds of conversations say, I would never say that cue. If I do say it, and sometimes I probably have said it when I've been getting really excited about a particular topic, I really shouldn't say that. And my intention is not to, uh, my intention is not to say, oh, that's wrong. I would never say that because you never really know the particular scenario that the teacher was using that for. And unless you can actually talk to that teacher and have a conversation with them, it's hard to really understand what they were looking at, what they saw, what their intention was. So again, this is why, and what we'll do today is I'll share with you a template you can use. Now, the other really cool thing about this template is that essentially it's most likely gonna bring up for you some questions you have about anatomy. And you're probably, or not probably, you may not be able to answer all these questions. And this is um, kind of the funny thing about it. Using this template may bring up for you some realizations that your, your anatomy knowledge is at a place where maybe you have some of the basics down and it would be great for you to learn some of the other key parts. So what I had said at the beginning of this episode, here is how I break down anatomy in a step-by-step -step way. This is you know, the perfect kind of scenario. You might be able to get through a couple of steps of the template, but then you might get stuck on maybe understanding the muscles or the muscle contractions. And again, that's a sign. I mean, in a way I kind of designed the template this way because part of what I wanna do is kind of gently coach teachers into an understanding that, um, how can I say this? That in order to really develop the confidence that most teachers, that many teachers want to have when they teach, what you're saying really needs to track back to stuff you know, to things you know, to concepts you know, versus things you're just saying. And so as we walk through this template, if you're feeling like some of these things are not just kind of rolling off the cuff for you, you don't know them like kind of straight out, that's a sign that, yeah, it'd be great to kind of fill in those learning gaps and imagine when you do, how much more confidence you'll have when you teach. So let me go over um, this template with you so you have an idea of how this all plays out. So I call this your cues evaluation template. And I will tell you, especially if you're listening and you're potentially gonna take notes, you don't have to take notes because there's a free download that I'll share with you um, at the end of this episode in terms of how you can get it. And I also have a really short uh, $6 ebook on Amazon that breaks this all down as well. So you could do either or, you could do the quick review with the freebie you can download, or you can just go for the $6 uh, ebook on Amazon and it's a little bit more of like a, like a story of sorts. 
So the name of the template is your Q evaluation template. And again, let's just kind of set the scene. What this is used for is to evaluate cues you hear to see if you can determine what is the rationale behind that cue. And of course, we're looking at this rationale from the perspective of the anatomy. We're not really looking at the energetics of the pose or some other aspect of the experience of the student. We're really looking uh, at it through the eyes of the anatomy lens to answer the question that I like to kind of say it this way, what's the why? What's the why for this? What's the why behind the cue? So let's, um, you know, maybe we could kind of start out with a basic example. Let's think of an example where you might hear something like, okay, we're gonna come into bridge pose. I want you to contract your gluteal muscles. I want you to squeeze around your sitting bones and see if you feel the contraction of your gluteus maximus as we come into this posture. So think about that as maybe something you'd hear and think also, and maybe you're having this experience right now, why is that teacher asking me to contract my glute max? You know, maybe your first question is, what is my glute max? Or I thought it was the glutes. Are the glutes the same as the glute max? Is the glute max the same as the glute need? I'm a little, like, so right out of the gate, you can see how there's an opportunity here for you to tap into your knowledge or a gap you have around your knowledge on a particular part of anatomy, namely the muscles. So that's kind of, you can have that in your head as the example. So the first thing you wanna do in this process of evaluating the cue, so the first step in the process, the first part of the template is to look at the anatomical actions of the pose. So identify what joints are in action and what action they are performing. So examples would include actions like flexion and extension. Now remember, these are actions of the joint and not actions of the muscles. And that's a really important distinction because oftentimes, and again, this is you know no harm intended here, friends, as I bring these examples up. So if you're kind of feeling yourself reacting, I just encourage you to let go of the reaction. What I find um, teachers often say a word, they often say engage, engaging this, engaging that, engaging quads, I feel engagement, you would be engaging. Now, keep in mind that the word engaging is really not an anatomical word, it's really more just a conversational word. However, I know what teachers mean when they say engage. And what they mean, I'm guessing, I mean, I've, I've had the actual conversation, so I know in, in the examples where it's come up for, for me is, what they're referring to is a muscle contraction. And that probably makes sense, right? So someone says, engage your quadriceps. And I probably have even said that. So what they're really saying is contract your quad quadriceps. What they're further saying is concentrically contract your quadriceps versus eccentrically lengthen your quadriceps. So, but the point is that I'm trying to make here is that engage or contract refers to the muscle that doesn't refer to what the joint is doing. Because remember, the joint is what the muscle is acting upon and the anatomical movement is the result of the muscle acting upon the joint. 
So in this first part of the template, the first thing you need to know about the queue is, or you need to identify or define, is what is the anatomical action of the pose. So in our example that I gave, bridge pose, the um, joints we would be looking at are the hip joints, both hip joints, bilateral hip joints, and we would say the anatomical action in bridge is hip extension. Okay, so that's kind of, now there's other parts, of course. There's shoulder extension and external rotation. There's dorsiflexion of the feet. There's uh, flexion of the knee joint. So you can see, obviously, every pose has a number of anatomical actions. Here, we're, I'm just going to kind of hone in on the hips. So number one in the template, look at the anatomical actions of the pose. So number two in the template, uh, in the step-by-step -step process, look at the muscles involved, both concentrically contracting and those that are eccentrically contracting and those that are passively lengthening. So if your head is full and you're like, what is she talking about? This is where we get into uh, talking about the actions muscles can take, the actions muscles can create. So muscles can be doers, where they're concentrically contracting, muscles can be resisting the doing, where they're eccentrically lengthening or contracting. And they can also be kind of supporting a joint and reacting maybe to uh, an outside load, namely gravity, and passively lengthening, right? So the next thing to do then is to look at the muscles involved and define what they're doing. So let's focus on that example I gave of bridge and let's focus on the hips in particular. And we say, we said before the hips are an extension. So what muscles are hip extensors as we're in bridge pose? So that would primarily be the gluteus maximus and the hamstrings. Those are the synergists of hip extension. Synergist meaning that uh, they are two muscles, different muscles that work together to create uh, the same joint action. In this case, hip extension. So the next part in the process is identify the joints that might be compromised depending on where they are in relation to the floor, how they're weighted or impacted by gravity or the anatomical action they're created. So now that you have the anatomical actions identified and the joints involved in making these movements and the muscles concentrically contracting, look at how the joints are involved in supporting the overall structure of the body. So an example that I think you'll probably be able to see a little bit more clearly than the bridge example is something like triangle, where if you're leaning to the right, your right knee joint is an extension. And because you're in lateral spinal flexion, i.e. leaning over your leg, your right leg, that right knee joint, which is already an extension, could potentially be supporting more weight than your left leg. Because now you not only have uh, your leg in extension and the joint might potentially be super, super extended or hyperextended, you also have the weight of your torso as it hangs over your leg and then you have the force of gravity cont to contend with as well. So in triangle pose, when we look at a joint that might be compromised, depending on, as I said, where they are in relation to the floor, how they're weighted or impacted by gravity, 
the knee, the right knee in triangle would definitely fall into that category as potentially, um, you know, might be compromised, especially if the student is hyperextending the knee. So back to our original example of bridge, because you're on the floor, uh, there is the factor of gravity to contend with, except it's a little bit different because it's not like you're leaning over to the side. And when you look at bridge pose in general, there really aren't, um, at least in terms of the hips, there really isn't a potential uh, compromising of the hips. I would say if there is anything joint-wise to potentially be concerned about, it could be your cervical spine. If you were coming into bridge and you were moving your head around, you could potentially make a case for your shoulders to potentially be compromised if you're externally rotating your shoulders really vigorously and you know maybe gripping your hands underneath and spinning your uh, upper arm bones, your humerus out significantly. You could potentially say that. But in terms of the, the hips, I don't, I don't think there's any real risk there. You're very well supported. You have both feet on the floor. Your feet are at hip width. So that's uh, a way that you could assess that. So the next part of the template is to work to gain a better understanding of the rationale being expressed for the concern or guideline shared. So the point of this one is it's always best when you hear a cue, to, a cue you don't understand to ask the teacher, what did you mean by that? And I know that um, every once in a while, I wish it happened more often, Every once in a while, students will ask me questions after class, and I love to have about cues, and I love to have these conversations because it gives me a chance to share the why behind it. It gives the student a chance to then ask questions, and we can have a dialogue back and forth. So I would encourage you, as you take online classes, as you take in-person classes, if you have an experience of, hey, what was that cue about? Ask the teacher, email the teacher, comment on their social media. I'm sure they would love to talk about their rationale behind it. Now, the next um, part of the template is to consider the impact of the group versus the individual. So this part of the template, this step in the process of evaluating a cue you hear has to do with um, this idea that and, and I think this comes up a lot. I hear this a lot from yoga teachers, this concern around, is yoga safe? I want to teach safe classes. How can I understand anatomy so that I don't hurt my students, so that I give students a safe experience? And I think with that intention, it's a great intention. And it certainly, you know, we don't ever want to do anything where we're harming anybody. However, I think to a certain extent, um, it's helpful to appreciate that there is by its nature an inherent risk in doing any kind of exercise, and that also extends to doing yoga. And so additionally for yoga teachers, what's even more challenging is we really don't know anything about our students' bodies. And so this is again why it's really helpful for teachers to understand anatomy so that they can create sequences that just by the nature of what they're offering people, decreases the risk to some extent. Uh, I think probably a good example of this, and I don't wanna really, again, like push your buttons if you're a big lover of like headstand and handstand. I think though, and I kind of think to a certain extent, those two postures get sort of a bad rap. Nothing is unsafe to do if presented in a safe, supportive way. So I'm just gonna say that right off the top. However, I think 
when I made the comment before about creating sequences in such a way that you inherently decrease the risk, I think you can probably imagine that if you're going to create sequences, especially for your online students, that include shoulder stand, headstand, and, and handstand, or even double binds, or flip your dog, um, whatever you're calling flip your dog, I know there's different names for it. You know, those kinds of poses just inherently have um, more that needs to be managed by the student. And when we give them a lot more to manage, um, the risk inherently goes up. And you can think of, like maybe you're thinking, well, what does she mean more to manage? Well, think about joint range of motion. That can be one factor that can inherently increase the risk. If I ask you to do side angle, and then I ask you to do side angle with the half bind, and then I ask you to do side angle with the double bind, as I progress you into the double bind modification or expression of the pose, I'm assuming you have the requisite range of motion in your shoulder to be able to externally rotate sufficiently to take the double bind. And if you do not, but you see that I'm, you know, you hear that I'm teaching that variation and you do it anyway, as we know students will try to do, and you don't have the requisite range of motion, you could potentially get hurt. You're taking your shoulder into a position that it's not ready for. But the mind is often very strong. And when, you know, when the brain is saying, do it, do it, do it, and the body doesn't have the requisite range of motion, you know, to some extent, we've all been there. We've tried that pose that we kind of knew in our mind we weren't ready for, but we tried it anyway, and we felt that little muscle pull, that sense of discomfort. So that's what I mean about, decre uh, about creating sequences where you're decreasing the risk simply by what you're selecting to be in the sequence. Now, of course, in order to make those determinations, you have to understand anatomy because otherwise a pose is a pose is a pose. If you don't understand anatomy well, it's hard, it will be hard for you to make those discerning, um, um, I don't wanna say judgments, decisions about what poses to throw into your sequence and what poses to leave out, especially when you're teaching people online. So back to our template here, this idea of consider the impact of the group versus the individual. What this means is when you're looking at a posture and you're trying to understand the why behind it, think about is what you're hearing something that really only applies to a couple of people in general, or is what you're hearing something that really has broad application? So something like we're coming into upward dog. Um, if you're having back pain, do this, 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 and this, and this. That might not be the experience of the bulk of the people doing uh, upper dog. However, it may be the experience of one or two people. And so this is just an example of something that may not have broad application, and that's something to consider as well when you, when you evaluate a cue. The next part of the template is to consider the impact of a dynamic movement versus a static stretch. So if you're hearing a cue and um, it's a cue that's being applied to something where there's 
a lot of movement. So maybe it's a part of the sequence, like moving from high to low push-up. That would be considered a dynamic movement versus high push-up, which is a static pose. So once we start moving on the mat, there is a lot more, as you can imagine, a lot more for the student to coordinate. When comparing that to a static posture, it just requires more coordination and awareness to maintain proper alignment. However, long holds in a static pose can present a similar challenge in that the longer a student holds a pose, the greater the chance they will lose some key alignment components as they get tired. So when looking at a cue in this evaluation framework that I'm sharing with you, Consider if it's a cue that has to do with a dynamic movement or one that has to do with a static pose. The other thing to keep in mind is the frequency of the action. So something you do once or twice will have less of an impact on the body than something you do all the time. Unless it's something like a sudden movement where the body is unprepared for the movement or the student is taking a movement that is way beyond their body's range of motion. So for instance, something like the alignment in all the movements of sun salutations is much more important to cue correctly than in a static pose like hero that we might teach every once in a while. So you can imagine the kinds of cues that apply to things you teach a lot, those are the kinds of cues you're really gonna want to uh, be able to communicate clearly. You're going to want to be able to understand the why behind them. And there's a lot more, you know, importance, it, I was going to say import, importance to those cues that, um, that they be accurate because we're offering those movements to our students so much more frequently. So that is the template. And again, you know, I really encourage you to take the download for this. Or, and or get the ebook on Amazon. Um, you can find it on Amazon by just going to my website. It is on Amazon as the system for understanding cues. You could even just Google me on, on Amazon and you'd find my books on there. Um, the point being though, it's, it really can be helpful to have this in writing in front of you so that you can start to apply it to cues that you hear. And keep in mind, if you start to run through this template and you have any questions at all, um, just get in touch with me. I'd love to have some back and forth conversation with you. Uh, we could even set up a Zoom call and go over the examples you have and you know, just kind of have a conversation about this. This would also be something really good to post in my Facebook group on anatomy, the Bare Bones Yoga Anatomy Workgroup. So if you have a thought and you don't want to send me an email, you could just post your question in the anatomy work group and I can uh, communicate with you there. So we've reached the end of the podcast today. So if you are still listening, shout out to you. Really glad that you're still on board here. And um, you can take a look at the show notes. I'll include the links as well to the PDF download for free and the ebook. So that'll be another way. And the show notes are always attached to the episode, which I post on my website. Although I'll bet most of you are listening on iTunes or Podbean. And I thank you so much for listening. So that is the end of today's episode. Um, as I said, again, October 12th, next time I talk to you will be Monday. And I'm really, really, um, grateful to have you as listeners. In between now and then, if you have any comments, please post them on my social media, send me an email. 
And just a note, if you have a topic that you would like me to cover in a future episode, please let me know what it is. I would love to get your suggestions. So thanks again for listening. I will see you on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.